Hello, and welcome to the 10th episode of If Women Were Meant to Fly, The Sky Would Be Pink. Let's fly this. I'm Enid Oton. In this episode, my schedule gets busy as I build my flight hours for promotion to first officer. I meet many different characters on board, and I meet my match in the rainy season with some spectacular flights, emergencies and weather. It had finally begun, my career I mean, and every morning I woke up excited for another day in uniform. I realised that I had a lot to learn and quite often I would be in the wrong place at the wrong time, trying very hard to appear older than my years and professional. I was enthusiastic to learn and I was determined to absorb something new every day that may come in useful later in my career. After I had completed my line training and was flying in the right-hand seat as co-pilot, I watched my captains handle the aircraft with almost no effort and wished that I could do the same with as much ease and confidence as they did. Instead, when it was my sector in time to handle, usually just after takeoff, I overcompensated for everything in my attempt to manage both my nerves and the aircraft. In the beginning, I was handling the beast manually, trying to improve all those techniques I'd learnt. Sometimes I'd put her on autopilot so that I could take a breather and give my poor passengers a break from the constant porpoise-like motions that I must have been subjecting them to down the back. I was still acclimatising to the aircraft, my colleagues, the passengers and flight dispatchers, whose eyes always widened when I was rostered as they tried to adjust to the fact that a woman was now part of the regular crew. Looking back, it seemed like I was juggling the impossible. I was dealing with a new and complicated structure to my working life where, essentially, my ability was judged by the landing I did at the end of my sectors. Like life, you have your ups and downs. Uh, No pun intended. And I couldn't, at that early stage, pull off greasers, a landing that you practically don't feel, as we used to call it, every time I flew. I mean, I couldn't do it every time I flew, even when I had 10,000 hours flight time. You have good days and you have bad days. And a slightly heavier landing would elicit comments from the passengers as they disembarked uh, along the lines of, I told you they, meaning women, cannot fly. And my personal favourite, it must be her time of the month. Now, this last one usually produced a response from me, which resulted in my captain pulling me back into the aircraft to prevent further passenger carnage. I realised pretty quickly that I'd have to grow a thick skin and prove myself, not that I felt I should need to, but by smiling through it and showing my capabilities to keep the passengers intact and safe. Sometimes the only way to beat this systematic form of abuse is to prove the perpetrator wrong, and that's what I chose to do on numerous occasions as I built confidence and experience. Not all of the responses from passengers were negative ones. There were many positive ones as well. But these didn't seem to stand out as much as the ones that were designed to hurt me and make the individual feel better about themselves. I realised that it was ignorance, and I had experienced that many times in my life as a mixed-race woman. 
When people are rude to me when I've done nothing wrong, I know it's not about my character. It's about their prejudices and ignorance. The more I flew, the less irritated I became with the usual stares and comments. Regardless of how they felt, they couldn't do anything about it unless they planned on not flying and Shell wouldn't have sanctioned that. I'm still not sure why passengers thought that I was any less qualified than my male counterparts when we obviously had to meet the same exacting standards. One of my many jobs as a signed co-pilot was paperwork, and this included the load sheets. The Twin Otter was a workhorse, but we still had to operate by the book even if we thought it could do better. Our fuel load was standard for those sectors, although it very much depended on several other factors, including fuel availability en route and at destination, and of course the en route and destination weather forecast. We had a unique and novel way of obtaining an up-to-date weather briefing in addition to the official meteorology briefings from our Met Office by having radio communication down route with our various ops teams. But they were also in place for our helicopter operations in Warri and Port Harcourt as well as several other airports. Your weather assessments were very much honed by experience and regulations and sometimes we would get airborne with a less than favourable forecast but knowing that as the sun rose the fog would burn off quickly. This was especially the case at the Worry airstrip, where the runway was short and could be quite difficult to get into unless you had enough experience. In fact, co-pilots were forbidden to carry out approaches and landings from the right-hand seat unless they had a certain number of training flights and experience. Now, the dry season in Nigeria lasts from October until about April, bringing high temperatures and low humidity, and is affected by the warm winds coming from the Sahara Desert to the north. Now, these winds are locally known as Harmattan, and they come into force about December, and they last until about February. For the other six months of the year, the country is in the wet season. So the rain starts in the south, and then it moves north, with most parts seeing rain in May, June or July. As a tropical country with this geography, Nigeria has different climate types, which kind of generally differ as you travel from south to north of the country, moving away from the equator. The first is the tropical rainforest climate and the south of the country will generally see more annual rainfall than anywhere else in Nigeria. The tropical savanna, which is drier and it's affected by the huge African continental landmass. Further north, a tropical dry climate, it's more desert-like and there are mountains here and there and that area experiences a microclimate which has much lower temperatures. The dry season heralded harmattan conditions with early morning fog and very low visibility, whilst the rainy season brought rain, as you would expect, as well as ferocious tropical thunderstorms, which could be squally in nature. Now, squall lines are a long line of thunderstorms that can extend over hundreds of miles and travel up to 60 miles an hour, and my experience of them would be numerous. My first encounter of tropical thunderstorms came fairly quickly whilst I was line flying. We carried weather radar on the aircraft, but as thankful as I was to have it, it could be redundant in certain circumstances. Whilst it showed areas of rain within a build-up, that's a thunderstorm, the true nature and number of build-ups could be masked by heavy rain. So more than once we've entered cloud and been tossed around like a twig in a hurricane. I've been convinced more than once that we're going to lose a wing or a tail, but you don't sit up front at the sharp end to show fear. 
Our passengers could see us on the flight deck and they needed to see us working hard to fly the aircraft and continuously smiling or looking like we'd done this a million times before. At the beginning of my commercial career, I was mostly trying to keep my stomach contents down and not get a soaking when the windows leaked. Years later, with many more hours under my belt and a command, I would be trying to eat a sandwich, drink a warm cup of coffee, whilst asking my co-pilot to stop screaming, because it looked bad to our passengers. There were so many stories to tell. My favourite, however, was a scheduled trip down the line to Worry. We had departed on time from Lagos, estimating arrival in Worry about an hour and ten minutes later. Unfortunately, as happens at that time of year, we had several thunderstorms in the area and we had to hold to the south of Worry to wait for it to pass. This was a common enough occurrence and as I was non-handling pilot, it fell to me to brief the passengers and handle the radio calls. Just as I was about to activate the button for my passenger briefing, we entered the tail end of the storm in cloud and an updraft started us on a roller coaster ride. Every updraft is followed by a downdraft and this one really meant business. Needless to say, my passenger briefing was indeed brief as I assisted my captain in keeping the aircraft the right way up. Just as we reduced power to a safe airspeed for turbulence, the most almighty bang erupted in our headsets. I was deafened temporarily, and as I looked over at the captain, he gestured to me that we'd been hit by lightning. We carried out the relevant checks on the aircraft, and as soon as I could, I briefed our passengers. But because I'd been slightly deafened by the strike and the noise, I hadn't actually noticed that my passengers were screaming, yelling and praying, pretty much all at the same time. I tried to calm them by explaining the best I could that although we'd been struck by lightning, we were fine and that we were preparing for landing. This seemed to calm them temporarily, and I hoped that they couldn't smell that electrical burning-like aroma that was sifting through the flight deck. As the storm moved rapidly north, we commenced our approach in now clear and calm conditions and landed, whereupon most of our passengers scurried down the aisle like bats out of hell on speed, I admit it must have been a frightening experience for them all, so we answered what questions they had on the tarmac and assured them that we were never in any danger. One of the most memorable comments, though, came from an elderly female passenger who took me to one side and said, My dear, congratulations. It was a miracle, and thank goodness that you had a man with you. I know if it was just a woman like you, we would surely have died. I realised then standing on the tarmac, that I still had lots of work to do to change the perception of women in a male-dominated workplace. The passengers walked past me as they disembarked, and I noticed that while one or two made comments, many just stared at me with their eyes popping out and their mouths open wide in apparent shock. Now, I assumed that they were still recovering from the lightning strike experience, but, you know, we needed to get going and get the aircraft back to Lagos. On arrival in Lagos, I rushed from the aircraft to the operations department. Even though it had been a noteworthy day, I was in a hurry. I had a hair appointment. Even then, I couldn't cope if my afro threatened to grow out of control. The engineers looked up at me. Some of them even laughed. Rude, I thought, as I grabbed my stuff and dashed from my car. I'd been through a flipping lightning strike, and all they can do is laugh. Well, I arrived at the hairdressers just in time for my appointment. As I entered the salon, My hairdresser, Monica, turned towards me and burst into hysterics. The whole salon followed suit. I was outraged. Oh my God, Monica gasped between giggles, tears now streaming down her face. You look like you've been struck by lightning. Look in the mirror. I turned and looked in the mirror. Well, 
My afro was now standing up completely straight in spikes. I do wish we'd had camera phones then. I would surely have gone viral. I do like to make people laugh and I'd unintentionally achieved it on that day. Now, you'll be relieved to know that my afro recovered quickly along with my pride and this became one of mine and my family's favourite stories. So, I'm sure you don't need advice. But if I was to give you some today, I'd say, the next time something ridiculous happens to you, just think how many laughs you'll be able to have when you remember it for years to come. Thank you for listening. As always, your reviews and comments are very much appreciated. Thank you to Lucy Ashby for the editing of this episode. If you want to ask a question or make a comment, then please do so on our social media sites and also our website. You can also email me at theskyispinkpilot at gmail.com. That's theskyispinkpilot at gmail.com. In the next episode, as my confidence grows, I decide to take on my detractors one by one. I get more interesting tropical weather to deal with. And I find that I cannot emulate certain aspects of being a commercial pilot behind the scenes. Thank you and goodbye.